You're listening to the Utah Man Podcast, bringing you the latest news and analysis for your Utah Utes. Now, your hosts, Cameron, Ryan, and Scott. Welcome on into the Utah Man Podcast on this episode. Utah loses to Washington on a timeout. We're looking ahead to Colorado, and we're joined by Michelle Botkin from UteZone.com. I'm Cameron, and we got Ryan. What's up, Ute Nation? And Scott. How we doing? I think we need to take a timeout right now. I've had enough timeouts. <laughs> Good golly. So Utah loses to Washington 30-33. to I'm sure you all know out there, Utah was up by 7 and they lose the game on a last-second field goal with Winningham giving Washington that motivation, if you want to call it, by calling a timeout. I was furious after this game. Furious. <laughs> you and everybody else. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I've ever been so angry after a game. <laughs> I mean, we they score 10 points in 58 seconds without recovering an onside kick. I mean, it was just awful to the lose o- that game. The One only- thing to lose it, but to lose it in regulation. The only other time that I can remember being angry at a Utah loss was when Lance Rice blew the Air Force game. <laughs> I think that ended up costing McBride his job. <laughs> there were a number of McBride moments. <laughs> so let's talk about the timeout, because I know everyone is talking about it. They're tweeting about it. Um these are things that Winningham said today in his press conference. I'll just read them out. It says, I would Wait, have Wait, be- you got to do it in Winningham's voice. I can't. I'm not like you. I can't do impressions on the spot. I can't I can't do Kyle Winningham. He says, I would have bet my house. Well, uh... <laughs> okay, Frank. <laughs> Actually, it's going to sound like Frank. Oh, one, oh, two, oh, take me out to the ball game. Not that Frank. Not that Frank. <laughs> what Frank? Frank Dolce, because you cut him off. <laughs> but that was a good Frank Layden impression. I can't hear you. <laughs> All right, so Whittingham. I think we need a timeout. <laughs> All right, so Whittingham said, I would have bet my house that they would not have gone the distance on our defense in that amount of time and maneuver into field goal range. I'll take that bet. I would do it again, but knowing how it played out, I wouldn't. But going into it without my knowledge of how it was going to play out, I would have chosen that aggressive path again and bet our defense. I have a lot of confidence in those guys. Okay. I had no confidence. I'm sorry. Washington State just or excuse Washington just drove down to score the game. They converted a four down. They had all the momentum. Why is he having that much faith in the defense to keep them out of field goal range? Washington was getting into field goal range all night. If you go with the logic that you call the timeout and then make them make a decision so we're going to run the ball again and run out the clock or we're going to pass and see what happens i mean that's the only logic that you can have making that decision that's i mean a lot of things have to go right in order for that 
to work. And even everything when, and, has and, to go and right. And, and every, nothing went right. And if everything goes right, what are you giving yourself? One okay. one last play? Well, yeah. Okay. I'll I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I totally get being aggressive. And Winningham said he was aggressive all game. I get it. But there's a there's a fine line between being aggressive and being stupid. And I'm sorry. Calling a timeout with 20 seconds left is stupid, not aggressive. As a fan base, we have all been asking and begging Whittingham to get aggressive, to get away from this conservative nature that he has coached for so many years and that has cost us important games because we get a lead, we sit on it, we lose momentum, we, we end up losing a game or at least make it closer than it needs to be. So the fan base has so much frustration. I will give I will give Whittingham credit. He has shown that he is adjusting, that he is changing. He goes out and hires an offensive coordinator, gives him full autonomy. This all he's known for is throwing the ball. You know, he he is being more aggressive on fourth downs. He's shown strides in that. The problem I have with this, I loved every call in that game. The onside kick, going for it on fourth down, the fake punt. I mean, f- it was fourth and 17. It wasn't fourth and five. I mean, that was a pretty was gutsy, a gutsy call. call. But is it only because it worked? Yeah, well, it's gutsy regardless. But, well, the timeout was gutsy, <laughs> but it doesn't mean it worked. <laughs> I, I mean, if you're you're not going to be successful on every aggressive move that you make. High risk, high reward, right? Exactly. And I like the game plan going in. Yes, you. this has not been the season that anybody's wanted. So they didn't have anything to lose. So yeah, they're going to go into that game and, and they just went for the win. And being undermanned as we were defensively, Sunia was he played, but he 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 didn't uh, he didn't look completely healthy, and he didn't uh, get all those reps. He's out. Chase Hansen's out. Carrington played sparingly. Um, Lotu Lele played sparingly. Jace Johnson had just left Jace the game before Johnson that. Johnson went down. Casey Hughes didn't even make the trip. So already you go in on the road to a top twenty team that. Is a good team. We were a seven. We were seven point seventeen point dogs in this game, and to, to not only be in the game but to have a late lead, it was remarkable. But I think that's where the frustration is, is because we had that late lead. All the projections on ESPN when they did that win probability, yeah, 97%. we were at ninety seven percent with a minute left in the game, and I think that's where a lot of fans and and me included where we're frustrated is it was. So close for this team to win. Yeah, they were so close to to getting over that hump um, as as a young team. Okay, so here's my question: Do you guys believe Whittingham's response and his reasoning for doing so? I believe it. I don't agree with it. Okay, it's probably a better way to. Uh, I'm not saying whether you don't believe in what he had to say, whether it's okay. true or not. But do you do you agree? With that line of thinking, I don't know. I, I see. Part of me sees his logic behind it, but I go back again to what I said a minute ago. That there are so many things have to play out in order for that to work, and and then you're putting your defense up against 
a really good college quarterback. Yeah. Jake Browning is a good quarterback. It's not like so you got some you got Dawkins from Arizona Arizona back there who's probably going to throw it in completion or make a, a a mental mistake. Um I don't know. I just well, just to play devil's advocate here. I I do understand more of what Winningham was coming from after today's press conference. Their kicking game, he missed a PAT and he already missed a field goal in the game. So I can see his logic in can we keep them far enough out of field goal range that A, they don't even try attempting a field goal, and B, him trying to make one is very, very low. Well, and, just... and, and Whittingham explained that today. He said his career long's 40 yards, so they would have had to get to the 25-yard line. Where they were starting, he had full confidence that the defense would not allow that to happen. The problem with that is... If you're going to be that aggressive, you got to stay aggressive defensively. We go into and we just sit back. We call the timeout and then we just sit back defensively, kind of go into a prevent and give up two long yard yardage plays. And right like that, they're in chip shot field goal range of uh, for their kicker. And even if the ball is incomplete and the plan goes perfectly for Whittingham, we get the ball back with maybe eight seconds to go. And and remember, we at this point, to get the ball back, we would have had to use our last time out. So we have the ball with eight seconds, probably on our own 20, more or less, with no timeouts. You've got one play. You're not going to get in field goal range. That That is, I understand where he's coming from, and I understand his reasoning. I just don't think it's reasonable. No, and you're you're tempting fate at that point. I mean, their first play on that drive, they ran it, hoping to break one. It didn't work, and they were happy to run out the clock and play for overtime. At that point, you give your team a shot in overtime. Well, well and, the, and the thing is, I was I was talking with some friends today. the The thing that stood out to me, this wasn't. Uh, after the fact, let's look back on it and go, oh, that was probably a bad decision. The minute it happened, you knew it was the wrong oh, decision. Oh, the yeah. minute as he soon as called happened, that timeout, I, I turned to my father-in-law. I said, what are we doing? I did the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, Twitter blew up right when he called it, even before anything happened, like you said. So, I'm again, Witt's been through this a lot more than any of us, and, and he's a, he's a play-the-percentages type guy. He's always explaining decisions, why he does the things that he does. And, and so that's what really surprises me because it just seems like it's out of his character that the percentages were not with him on this call. But again, it, it's him being aggressive. And he's kind of a rookie coach when it comes to being an aggressive coach. <laughs> he doesn't have a whole lot of experience doing it. No, I mean, that's a great point. We've talked about how Tyler Huntley is still a, a young college quarter starting quarterback we have troy taylor a in college world a young oc and winningham is young in as far as his, this philosophy right giving what you said scott giving full authority to troy taylor on the offense being more aggressive 
And Winningham even talked about that in his press conference today, that if you look at his first half of his coaching tenure, he's not aggressive at all. And this later half of his coaching tenure, he's been more aggressive. And so maybe this is just a learning experience for this coach. One thing I will say is I bet the players, even though it hurts that they lost, I think it, it, it must instill something in them that Winningham was willing to trust them. You bet. That Winningham was willing to put the game in their hands or wanting to put the game in their hands in regulation to win. That's got to at least boost something for this defense, I hope. Well, but there were plenty of opportunities for not even to come down to a calling a timeout or getting to overtime. I mean, the defense, it's third and ten, and we're about to sack him for a huge loss, almost intercept it, and then on fourth down, they convert, end up going down and scoring the, the game-tying touchdown. We had the opportunity to get a first down, run out the clock. Didn't didn't get that done. Multiple opportunities early in the game where we settled for field goals when we're in the red zone and we're running on third and eight when we've been killing them in the passing game and we just decided to keep running into their strength and have to settle for field goals. So there was plenty of opportunities for it not to come down to Whittingham calling or not calling a timeout. That's a little fr- the frustrating part is the opportunities were there. We didn't take advantage of it, obviously, and that's what young teams do. And I think that's the next step that this team's got to do. If they want to win these games, they have to convert that third and two late in the game. They have to make that defensive stop on fourth down to end the game. The, you're absolutely right. The The interesting part of that that drive that they ended up scoring the touchdown on to tie the game when it was fourth and ten, if you look at the three first down, the first, second, and third down of that drive, we brought pressure every single time and made him throw it quickly. That's why it was fourth and ten. What happens on fourth down? We play off, rush four guys with no extra pressure, I, I, and they can. Comp- I'm pretty sure we brought. A f- I'm sure, pretty sure we brought somebody on that. Did we not? I don't think so. I I I could be wrong, but I thought we did bring some pressure. Just didn't get there in time. But I I, I could be wrong. But needless to say, I mean, I the, your point is there that uh, I mean there were opportunities and. Uh, but with that being said, there was a lot of positives from this game, and Tyler Huntley is growing in to an absolute star. He. Really, he he had some bad reads in the run game early, um, and he had that one errant pass. I don't even know what he was thinking or what he was trying to do on that, but where he threw the the interception as he was rolling towards the sideline. I mean, he should have either just stepped out of bounds with the ball, instead or just of thrown it out of bounds, instead of forcing that. But outside of that, he played really well. He threw the ball well. He threw the ball well on the run. 70% completion percentage. He has 19 of 27 for 293 yards. Well, and, and he carried the ball 25 times. And that, that those are designed carries. Mm-hmm. He had he had a number of carries that you know were just scrambling out of the pocket because the O-line was Swiss cheese up front. I mean, 
he did that. He he threw for 293 yards, 19 of 27, with an O line that was giving him mo- most of the night, next to no time. And to me, that is our lack of consistency is just coming from that O line. And again, we're young. You know, it is what it is at this point, and, and hopefully, whether it's just through experience or maybe adding some guys um, from the JC level or other guys just stepping up next year, is going to be key to have some growth on the offensive line to be able to run the ball more consistently and protect Tyler. But he's coming into his own, and each week he continues to take strides. I, I wonder where he would be if he didn't sit out those three games due to the injury if he could continue to progress and his confidence level would be sky high. As young as he is and uh, and some of those sophomore mistakes, the guy is lights out with what he's producing and uh, his ability to run the ball. And is, I mean, he's he is way more accurate than I think any of us anticipated he was. Oh yeah, he could be. At the same the same token, you got to give credit to Washington. I mean, Jake Browning, three hundred fifty four yards. He was twenty six of thirty five. He was pretty good, which is, just goes back to another reason: don't let him beat you. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing to, there's nothing that says that we would have won in overtime, but you've 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 given your team a chance. I mean, they. That's what I like. I mean, college football i love the overtime rules each team gets an opportunity and it doesn't pay off it doesn't pay off but i would have liked to see the up i would have loved to see the see the opportunity well it's it's two games now the usc game and washington game that uh both were headed for overtime but uh we didn't want we didn't <laughs> want to go down that road so I, again i i i I love his aggressive nature. I love what he's trying to do. I just didn't understand that one. But it is what it is at this point, and now we're facing a win-or-go-home scenario against the Buffs, which we've seen before. (laughs) Anything on the line with Colorado coming to town has not ended well to this point. So, Scott, you're right. There are a lot of positives um, to take away from this game especially on the offensive side of the ball. One thing I want to talk about with you guys is something that's really taken over Twitter since the game and pretty much Whittingham. Is he the right guy? Is it time to move on? Is it time to, to hold on to Whittingham and keep moving forward with him as the head coach? Well, there's a lot of different opinions out there. And uh, I think, you know, there's obviously frustration of not getting not winning the division, not being able to get to a Pac-12 championship game to this point. And there's frustration with this season, just how it's gone in general. I think fans are frustrated. Has he has he hit his ceiling? You know, I, I think at this point, I, I kind of went back and I looked over, uh, since we joined the conference in, in 2011, how has a Kyle Whittingham team fared each year? And kind of gone back through the numbers, and it was actually a little bit surprising since 2011, we've had three winning seasons in the Pac-12. Two of those seasons, only one game by, above 500, five and four, both in 2014 and 2016. 
And the best season to date is 2015, where we went 10 and three and six and three in the conference. But I, if you look, if you break that down, how we've done against the North and how we've done against the South, in that period of time, against the North, we're 12 and 16 for a 42% winning percentage. And against the South, 15 of 19 for a 44% winning percentage, both under 500. And I mean, you break that down even, even just to the last couple of years, we're one in seven against the North and six and three against the South. I mean, you take it one step further in the last couple of years, we're only three and five in home Pac-12 games. I mean, there's just no home field advantage at Rice-Eccles Stadium anymore. You know, coming in, everybody talked about what a great atmosphere it is, what a home field advantage it is for the youth. And it just, over the, at least to this point, it just has not turned into the home field advantage, regardless of having continuous sellouts and a great atmosphere. It has not essentially helped the youths get over the hump in Pac-12 play. Well, and it's interesting that you break it down like that, because that's one stat that I know Utah fans and, and the Utah football team really hangs their head on is how many conference wins they've had in X amount of years, right? It's like second best or something like that. So it's interesting that as we break it all down, what, what you have done is we still are under 500. We got to, a I lot mean, of wins. But, I mean, I guess it kind of proves the point that there's a lot of parity in this league. And everyone kind of goes has their ups and downs. There is. I mean, if we ran these numbers for other Pac-12 teams, maybe outside of USC and maybe Oregon uh, a few years back when they were uh, playing really well. And I think this goes a little bit back to what we talked about last in last week's episode of how this conference just seems to beat each other up. We talked about the, the nine-game season and how that, is a detriment to the league and, and that maybe that plays a part in it. I mean, uh, but you're right. This not having a home field advantage is a killer. Well, you're, you're 14 and 17 in all pac 12 home games since 2011, three games under 500. And, uh, I mean that's that's really where we should be shining. That's where this team should be should be comfortable and where they should uh, be performing better. Just haven't to this point. But these are the numbers. I mean, these are the numbers you're you're judging Kyle Whittingham on. Now I haven't taken into account the non-conference wins, which I believe he's only lost one non-conference game since we've joined the Pac-12, and I believe that was Utah State. Back in 2011, mm-hmm. if I if I'm not mistaken, at the end of the day, non-conference really doesn't matter unless you're trying to get into the playoff. It's all about Pac-12 wins. You can go 0 and 3, but if you take care of business in the Pac-12, you still play for the title. So that these are what the fan base is judging Kyle Whittingham off of, and so that's why there's frustration. Because if you look at these numbers, they're not blowing you away. Now, obviously. Those first three years were tough. You're trying to get adjusted to the Pac-12. You're trying to recruit a different type of athlete. Uh, you're not even getting full uh, full money from the Pac-12 for those first several years. So there's a quite an adjustment. But, but uh, look at but look at that. So 
2011 and 2013 finished at two and three at home. If we beat Colorado this weekend, we'll be two and three at home this year. Yeah, we're talking about the those first two. Those first two were in the beginning transformation uh, of joining this league, and now here we are, uh, six years later, still kind of the same. There. Same, and and I think that's the, that goes back to: Do you think Kyle Whittingham can get this program to? A Pac-12 championship. I think he can. I think he's trying. If oh, he definitely's at, trying. Look at we talked about this earlier. Uh, how he's changing his mindset. He's trying to adapt. Uh, I don't think you can say that about many college football head coaches. You, a lot of them just they're they're set in their ways, and that this is how you do it. He, I think you got to give him credit for for adapting, and maybe, and maybe it'll pay off as as this continues to evolve. I I, th- I think you don't have a choice. I think the administration obviously could be wrong. I would think the administration's behind him, and majority of the fan base is behind him. He's our guy, and I think our recruiting has gotten better year upon year upon year. And that's a huge part because that's going to help us get to that next level. But Kyle Whittingham, I mean, he's not a Pete Carroll. He's not a Nick Saban. You know, he's very consistent. There's not very many years we're going to we're gonna win two or three ball games. But at the same time, there's probably not many years where we're going to only lose one or two ball games. So he just kind of, he's consistently good. The question is, can he get us to great? Because in the Pac-12, you have to become great if you're going to want to win this thing. You look, UCLA has a opening. Rumors are it's going to be Chip Kelly that potentially takes over. Now, it's it's not a given that if Chip comes back that he's going to be able to duplicate what he did up at Oregon. But there's a pretty good chance with how UCLA is able to recruit and his track record that he's going to get UCLA rolling. USC's rolling again. Oregon is is going to get rolling again. Stanford is Stanford. They're rock solid most year in and year out. Competition is has been great, but it's probably getting better. So not only do the Utes have to get better just to keep up, they've got to take a huge step if they want to get into the level it takes to win a Pac-12 and go to a Rose Bowl. I think they can get there. And I and I honestly think Huntley, if we can surround Huntley, I think he's the type of quarterback that can get us there. Can. can. Willie, I don't know. But uh, that's my opinion. I, I I it's way in my opinion it's way too early to bell on Kyle and uh, and go in a different direction. Now, I do not like the the thought process that so many have that you can't replace him, you can't fire him because you can't do better. How do we know that? that How do we know that? And if you're making all of your decisions, whether it's football, whether it's running a business, whether it's in life, that you're not going to do something because you're not sure it'll end up being better, that's ridiculous. When Chris Hill made the decision to fire Ron McBride, there were a lot of upset people, especially about how that went down. 
But but I, look who we brought in. I mean, nobody. But I think that success is what has turned you fans. Nobody thinks it can happen again. Nobody thinks you're going to go out and get an Urban Meyer. And guess what? There's, those guys are out there. But you're probably not going to strike the iron again with an Urban Meyer, a guy who's innovating college football, who's just the next great thing. You're probably not going to get that. But it doesn't mean you still can't get better. No, you're right. You're right. One thing I want to go back to, Scott, as we finish this um, discussion up, is you said, is, is this the ceiling of Whittingham? Looking over here, he just under 500 for conference play. One factor we haven't talked about is the change in offensive coordinator. How big of that is a contributor to the success and lack of success we've been seeing in the conference? Hopefully with what he's doing with Taylor, he's here for the long term. And we haven't seen that ceiling, and this team can get better and can get above 500 in conference play. Yeah, this the offense has obviously been up and down this year. We've seen some moments that think, "Wow, that's if this offense can do this consistently, it's going to see we're going to see some good things happen." And then it goes in the tank for a game or two. And but I think we've seen, you know, it's kind of as green as Troy Taylor is for college football in the Pac-12. I think we've seen him grow over the course of this season. And if that growth continues, and there's no, obviously, no coaching changes are made, I think there's potential there. Yeah, I... Definitely there's been a little bit of frustration uh, with how the offense has looked at times. But when you step back and take an over, overall look at the offense, I think it's I think it's headed in a great direction. And I think you're seeing improvement. This is the point of the year where the offense was getting worse yeah. year after year after year. We actually are getting to the point where we're improving offensively late in the season. So we just, I mean, we haven't even experienced that. So I, I I think he's a young coach, but he's showing promise. He's showing improvement. And let's be honest, Whittingham can't fire him. Whittingham should not be allowed as head coach to make another OC change in the next five years. And unless Troy Taylor sets the world on fire and, and gets yeah, a, if a he, different if job. Yeah, if he go elsewhere, gets a head but, job But somewhere. I agree. I think, and I think... This is Winningham even admitting that he's made his mistakes by coming out and saying, I'm not having any say in the offense and changing it up, really going with a guy that likes to throw the ball a lot. Yeah, I I think this this thought out there, you know, we've got a young quarterback, a young O-line, young receiving core to an extent, young running backs. We're young across the board offensively and and and, and are getting better. So next year, but I think next year is going to be pivotal because Kyle Whittingham, if, he, if we go out next year and we duplicate this type of season next year, well, okay, then those that are angry with him will have a lot more ammo behind, behind them. And uh, I think next year is huge for many on this coaching staff. They've got to go out and produce, and next year needs to be a huge improvement. But uh, 
you know, it, it's definitely a disappointing season. I mean, we're we're staring losing uh, six of our last seven in the face on Saturday. This is a must-win game because you cannot. At one, we were four and zero at one point. Four and zero. You cannot end the season five and seven. That'd be bad. Really bad. That's 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 really bad. Rebuilding or not, this is a must-win game on Saturday. You have to take care of business. Yes, it's only good to get you to a crappy bowl game. Perception-wise, confidence-wise for these players, and just for the overall look of the program, you have to get to a bowl game. All right, so I think we need to take a timeout here. Looks like we have Michelle Botkin on the phone, and that interview is brought to you by Doubletree Suites by Hilton in Salt Lake City downtown. They're located at 110 West, 600 South. Give them a call, 801-359-7800, and they are the preferred Pac-12 hotel when teams come into Salt Lake. All right, joining us now on the phone is Michelle Bodkin from UteZone.com, as well as UteZone on ESPN 700. Michelle, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to join us. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure talking with you. I saw on social media, I'm sure everyone else did, that you you know went up to the game up in Seattle this past weekend. I was curious, what is what did you kind of see with the team after the game uh, and a second part of the question is, are you concerned about any uh, hangover against Colorado? Oh, that's a good question. Um, after the game, I, I have to say I my heart broke. Absolutely. Uh, you could just tell those guys wanted it so, so bad. And it was so disappointing that it kind of slipped through their fingers, that they kind of had that chance to finish things and and didn't quite pull the trigger on it um and and there were a couple i think areas or reasons why why they ended up not finishing as strongly as they would have could have should have um but i i did find myself going there kind of wanting to do that like mama bear thing and just tell them that it was okay and 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 some of that kind of stuff um but uh as far as hangover goes I I think it maybe possibly is a concern, mostly from the standpoint it's a very young team, and I I I don't know how well they know how to cope with disappointments like that because they haven't really had to experience that before. But I do think the senior leadership should be able to kind of coach them through that, um, as they kind of have all year. And honestly, there's a lot to build off of and a lot to be positive and happy about. And there's honestly no reason why they can't beat Colorado, um, even though Colorado's in the same boat, essentially. They're looking for a bowl berth as well. So, Michelle, obviously, since the how that game ended, there's been a lot of frustration, maybe even anger in uh, in uh, among the fan base. But... In that game, I mean, there was a lot of positives, a lot to take away, especially offensively. Utah was the mm-hmm. only team to, to score over 30 points at Washington in the last three years, and, and they've now done it twice. So definitely uh, uh, there's some ups and downs, but what's your takeaway from the offense as, uh, as it's progressed throughout the season? Um, as I kind of mentioned before, it, it it is a very young team, and I think, 
when Utah decided to go with Tyler Huntley um, over Troy Williams that it, it really was a full investment into we're working towards the future and so things may not go as smoothly and and as cleanly as we're maybe used to them going. Um, I, I think the coaching staff really was fully prepared to take their lumps with this team this year just to get those young guys some experience. And it's and it's not just picking Huntley over over Williams. It's seeing guys like Sayosi Wilson start getting more touches and and Damari Simpkins, um, both both of whom are only sophomores, I believe. And uh uh you know, Zach Moss is the first running back probably since Eddie White that Utah started that's been a freshman and hasn't been a JUCO transfer. So, I mean, you're talking about a lot of guys that just haven't had a ton of experience. And so they're kind of working towards that. And then on top of that, you're adding in new wrinkles with a new offense and a new offensive coordinator, who I also might add is, is kind of new to this level of playing. Um, you know, his, his credentials before this point have been a division two school and, and high school. And, and the Pac-12 is definitely a step up from that. And I, I think he's had to learn a lot on his way as well. But I do think, you know, you've seen the offense get better. I think you've seen Troy Taylor get better, um, calling, calling the games, getting more comfortable, you know, with that and with the, with his personnel and and I think Utah fans need to be a little bit patient. Um I think I think a lot of people were hoping for a miracle and and that you know instantly you plug all these things in together and it's it's going to be amazing and it's going to take the world by storm and that's that's just a very rare occurrence. There's always almost always a build up to to that sort of domination. And I think kind of towards the end of the season, we're starting to see it come together. But I think it, it probably won't be until next year, or maybe even the year after, that you can really start seeing the types of results that that they want so desperately. Hey, Michelle, I want to ask you a little bit more about the end of the game. I know, as you probably saw in Twitter land, the majority, or not, maybe not the majority, but several. It was the majority. Cute <laughs> fans put the blame on Whittingham for that loss. So, since you were there, do you feel like the team puts put blame on Whittingham for the loss, or did they kind of put it on their own shoulders and say, "Hey, we could have we could have done more. We could have been better." You know, that's one thing I don't think I've seen from this team on either side of it, the coaching staff or the player side, nobody plays the blame game with each other. Everybody's very responsible and, and takes, takes the blame for the things that they're, they're responsible for or should be responsible for. And when things haven't worked out, you've seen the players say, the coaches have coached us, we need to perform better. And on the flip side, you see the coaches saying, if if the players aren't getting it, it's on us. And when we didn't prepare them for this particular situation or to deal with this game. Um, and so I, I don't see the players blaming Witt and Whittingham definitely didn't blame the players after the game. I, I do 
sense that there was maybe a little bit of confusion as to what was going on. Uh, Chris Kamrani with the, the Salt Lake Tribune asked Julian Blackman after the game about the, the timeout that everybody's so upset about. Mm-hmm. And, and he said that they, they just weren't really sure what exactly was going on, um, but just tried to do, do the best they could with that situation. And it ultimately didn't work in their favor. Michelle, give us a quick, obviously uh, you're a, a big part of Ute Zone. Um, you guys do a great job over there providing a lot of good analysis, but also a lot of information recruiting-wise. Uh, can you give us, mm-hmm. give uh, give the listeners maybe just a little uh, touch of how the how recruiting is going so far this year, even though we haven't had the year we expected? You know, that's, that's actually a great question. Um, I, I'm seeing and sensing a lot of, um, confusion, both, both from, I think, kind of the coaching staff as well as from our end of it as well. And granted, I'm not as involved with it as some of the other guys are, but just the conversations we've had, I think everybody's a little, unsure what to expect with the early signing period that's coming up here. It definitely changes the game. It changes how not only Utah needs to go about recruiting, but it also changes how everybody else around them has to go about recruiting as well. And so I, I think you're not seeing as many solid commitments at this point in time as, as you're probably used to. And I think a lot of guys are kind of, holding off on on making that decision because they're they're not sure with with the options that coming up to to declare early um or or sign voice voice their their support of and and going to a school early um and so i i think that's leaving that's leaving a lot of people just kind of up in the air and fuzzy about who's doing what and 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 who's really liking who and some of that kind of stuff. Um, so the one person I can say for sure is on board here for good is Jack Tuttle. Um, we expect, oh, you, right? fa- you fans <laughs> are going to love that. <laughs> we fully expect him. Um, I believe he is going to sign early in that period, but kind of who ends up coming along with him, we're not entirely entirely sure who who to expect. So, Michelle, one thing that I really like uh, that you do on Ute Zone is you do a lot of features on players, and especially on seniors. Uh, senior day mm-hmm. is coming up, and I hate to put you on the spot like this, but before we let you go, is there just is there one senior uh, in particular that? Uh, maybe you fans you think are, are going to miss the most or one that you've gotten to know that really has a great story for Utah fans? Oh, my goodness. There's I, so I, many. There's... I know I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, there are 23 graduating seniors in this class. I believe it's one less than last year's. There were going to be 24, but Matt Gay got a year a year of eligibility back. So he's no longer on on that list, and it bumps it down to 23. Um, my goodness, I think Leka Uatafe has an amazing story. Um, just the things that he's gone through um, in his time at Utah, 
losing his best friend in in a car accident that he just as easily easily could have died in as well. Um, and, and someone that was supposed to come with him to Utah as well. Um, I, I think that's a huge devastating blow. Um, and then I believe the year after, maybe two years after, his mom passed away. Um, and so that's, that's a lot of lumps for someone that's 22, 21, some, somewhere in there to take. And I think he's, he's dealt with that as well as you can expect anyone to. Um, I think Troy Williams' story is really interesting, being voted team captain two years in a row, but not being the starter, starting quarterback um, uh, for his senior year, being ousted by, by um, Utah's new, new sophomore that they expect great things from. And I think just that dynamic and having to work around that is interesting. And I think he really did um, handle that as well as he possibly could have. Darren Carrington's an interesting story coming from Oregon and some of the, the problems he had there, but seemingly overcoming that and, and doing really well at Utah for sure. Um, and injury plagued a little bit. Uh, it seems to be a Utah curse thing. I don't know, but, um, he, he definitely would rank up there. Uh, I think. Alex Whittingham is another interesting story. There just aren't that many players that get to say their head coach was their college coach. Um, Kendrick Young is interesting from the standpoint making making that switch. And he was someone that admitted that when he came into the program, he was a very, very selfish person. But he's learned to grow and, I think, respect the people around him a whole lot more which is something I hear quite a bit um, with Utah Utah players is is that growth a- aspect and, and kind of learning to become a man. And a lot of times, even, even myself, just kind of sitting back and observing and watching some of these guys come in as freshmen and then graduate as seniors, it, the growth really is very apparent. Awesome. I, I'm sorry. I know I put you on the spot, but... I always love reading your stu- uh, reading your stuff, and you're at utezone.com, and people can hear you on uh, utezone on ESPN 700 on Wednesday evenings. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Oh uh, well, I, I feel like my social media is a constant circle. I think I think we should be staying where we are for a while now. We've we've gone from uh, rivals to scout to two four seven here in in a matter of months really but uh i am now on twitter and instagram at m bodkin 247 sports actually i think it's just at bodkin 247 sports and on facebook i'm i'm just michelle bodkin perk michelle thank you so much and have a great evening oh thank you thanks michelle take care bye absolutely bye so it's always great to have Michelle come on and kind of give us uh, her thoughts. They do a, a great job over at Ute Zone, and it, we always appreciate um, being able to grab one of them on the podcast. So, Scott, as you were saying, this is a must-win game coming up this weekend with Utah and Colorado. Both teams sit at 5-6. and six. Winner's going bowling. Loser is going home. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I hate being a broken record, 
like some people are on the radio here in this in this market. But I have to repeat what you're saying. This is a must win for this team. Well, it's just it's a must win for the sanity of our fan base <laughs> because uh, we cannot take another home loss and another loss to Colorado that ends the season under 500. You got to get to 500 and at least scrape a little bit of dignity dignity out of this season. So yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting. I'm 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 excited. I'm excited for every Utah football game, but I'm excited to see what the fan base, what Rice Eccles looks like, because it's November 25th at 8:30 p.m. It's going to be nip cold, <laughs> and we haven't won a game in a decade. It feels like <laughs> so, and there's way too many f- in the fan base that. Uh, you know, uh, when it's 80 degrees, they leave at the start of the third quarter. So what is it going to look like? There have been worse Colorado teams to come in and beat us. So they are not great. They are they kind of sit uh, middle of the pack in a lot of the statistical categories. Um, but they've got a good running game. Philip Lindsay's averaging 127 a game on the ground. He's a good back. He is good, and and he's going to be their focal point. Montez, the quarterback, he's kind of had an up and down season. Um, probably could relate a lot to what we've seen. You know, some good games, and then he's he's had his struggles where he's been benched and came back, and he's won the job and been benched again. But he's he's averaging right now 252 through the air nothing spectacular um but i you know i think first and foremost as wit says you got to stop the run um contain Lindsay, and uh if i'm pretty confident going into this game if our offense can continue to do what they have been doing i i think we should should keyword being should win this game pretty easily and see and that's the thing is if this team's going to have a hangover or not yeah because yeah, and I'm, I think that's I'm, a legitimate concern. And, and you saw I think, the looks on their faces as they walked off the field. That is a concern. And I think that is a, a, something you need to worry about with a young team like that. Is how do they respond after a, a game like they just had in Washington? Yes, Colorado won the South last year. This isn't the same team. They had a lot of guys graduate, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But this this Colorado team wasn't a Pac-12 championship game a year ago. They have risen when they've needed to in past years. Can they do it this year with Utah? All right, and before we give our picks for the Utah game and the Pac-12 games of the week, we are brought to you by Farmers Insurance for protecting your home, vehicle, and family. Look to Farmers Insurance. Call Scott Omer at 801-307-4046. So Utah's hosting Colorado this weekend. Utah's favored by 10.5 right now. Scott, what's your score for the game? In the must-win game, I got the Utes. They're going to be, uh, I think they come out. This may be the first uh, the first game against Colorado that, that is won by multiple scores. So I'm going to say we come out ready to play, get rid of the hangover, and uh, I think we win 34-21. to 21. I'm pretty close with you on on your score. I think uh, Colorado comes in with bad hair, McIntyre, and I think Utah rolls them. I think it's 35 to 24. Ryan, 
based off of the offensive production we saw against a very good Washington defense, if they come out, which I think they will, I think they'll come out and play well. And our defense seems to be playing pretty well over the last couple of games, too, for the most part. I'm going to go even bigger separation than you guys. I'm going to go Utah 42, Colorado 17. Hopefully Utah can get that that win over Colorado and get to a bowl game. All right, so the Pac-12 games that we're picking this week. First one <laughs> is going to be Cal's traveling to UCLA. Uh, UCLA is favored by seven points right now. This game's really interesting. Both teams are five and six. Both of them are trying to get bowl eligibility. USC just fired their head coach uh, in Mora. Scott, where are you going with this? To me, this one is easy as we've had this season. UCLA's coming. They've got an interim head coach. They just lost their coach. These teams always come out ready to play. Cal is Cal, so I think UCLA wins big. I'm really torn on this game. As you guys know, I, I liked Cal at the beginning of the year. I thought they uh, could win four or five games, and they are potentially could win six. I, I don't think they can do it down in the Rose Bowl, so I'm going to go with UCLA. Ryan? Yeah, I don't. Cal, I don't think Cal's any match for UCLA. Um, UCLA wins big. All right, and the next game we're looking at is the rivalry down in Arizona. The Wildcats are traveling down to Tempe to take on the Arizona State Sun Devils. Wildcats are only a point and a half favorite in this one. Scott, who do you got? Oh, I'm going to go with, uh, um, I think Arizona's going to come into Tempe and play a good game. And I think uh, Tate, or as Cam likes to call him, Tay-Tay, is going to have a big game. They've never and called him that. <laughs> I think he has a big game. I think Arizona wins. I think Arizona bounces back from last week and comes away with a victory in this one, Ryan. I think it depends on the health of Tate. It, in Indonesia, it's Tate. <laughs> in all, no, in all seriousness, I it it uh, he seemed. I think he got hurt because they didn't run him in the second half of last week's game. Um, so, but if he's healthy, I think Arizona wins. So I'll go with Arizona. He didn't run him in the second half because Rich Rod murdered him on the <laughs> sideline. <laughs> and then the last game we're picking uh, has big implications on the North uh, in the Pac-12. The Washington State Cougars are traveling to Husky Stadium to play Washington. Uh, Washington's favored by ten right now. I was pretty surprised by that line. Uh, Scott, who do you got, Cougars or Huskies? It's a kind of a personal question, Cam, but uh, but I will. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, the Cougars. I think uh, Washington used their last life against us, so I'm going to go with Leach and the the Cougs. So Washington State's coming off a bye. They've had two weeks to prepare for this and get healthy for it, even though it's it's in Seattle. The Cougars have something going on this year, so I'm going to go with Washington State. Ryan? I'm going to go with Washington State as well. I think they've got... They're going to come in pumped up with the, for a chance to win the North and go to the Pac-12 championship. So that will do it for us on this episode. Ryan, where can people find you on Twitter? At Drum and Feather. 
That's drum with the letter N, feather. And Scott? You can find me at uh, Uteman underscore forever. All right, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Utah Man Podcast. You can always catch us at our home at utahmanpodcast.com. And before we go, we just hope that Utah gets a W against Colorado to get to a bowl game. Uh, we hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving out there. And I hope everyone comes to the game and shows up early to you know send these seniors off the right way. Uh, it's going to be good weather. What they've done for this program. So hopefully we get that W and go Utes. Go Utes. Go Utes. We'll be till I die, which is coming sooner with them. Kayai. We're good. Let's cut it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are their own and are no way affiliated with the University of Utah. Who are we talking about? We're still- man <laughs> of the cloth. Are we still talking about Colorado? This <laughs> Cam, Cam got into his Bible podcast. <laughs> Let us turn to the good book. When the opposite team has the ball with 22 seconds left. Thou shalt not call a timeout. (laughs) Or there will be gnashing of teeth from your fan base. From hither to fro. All right, and the next game we're looking at is the rivalry down in Arizona, where the Wildcats are traveling to Tempe to take on Arizona. (laughs) Wait, where? (laughs) I, that's how you can pronounce it. I heard it on the radio this Tempe. week. Well, yeah, that is how you can announce it. <laughs> Who did you hear it from? Monty? <laughs> no, I heard someone pronounce it as Tempe. Well, they were wrong, too. You're listening to, like, a European podcast? Oh, I love it. You can say it either way. Tempe. You better watch out. You better not cry. <laughs> Better watch out, I'm telling you why. Stocky, Stocky and Detmer are coming to town. They see you and you're blitzing. <laughs> That's the part I remember. <laughs> They'll get to the blue zone. The best is how they end it. Sataki and Detmer are coming. Sataki and Detmer are coming. Sataki and Detmer are coming to town. Oh, crap. That's one of those things that you put on Twitter and says, that didn't age well. (laughs) 